to Fancy Town Crimes Podcast, a podcast about crimes in fancy towns told by middle-class broads. It worked! Woohoo! We figured it out, guys. We're so tech-savvy. <laughs> it's really sad, actually. <laughs> it's really sad. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with us. Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a process. It's always a process. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining. Yes, we're so welcome. happy to have you here. Megan, are you having a if are you having a, a drink, a cocktail, anything to? I I am. I am having this this lovely drink that I found at Wegmans called um, Love a Wegmans. Canteen. Yeah, it's good. I'm it's into like it. A, it's like a you know me and my hard seltzers. I love them. They're a good place Love to be. Love so much. So, yes, I have myself a nice hard seltzer. I see you have yourself a nice glass of wine. I do. It's some leftover uh, Valentine's Day wine. So, Ooh. that's very, very, nice. very pleased. Yes. My eyebrows look so thick in this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They look lovely. You look beautiful. I'm trying to figure out where to place this so that it's not, doesn't fall over. Maybe Perfect. that's I good. Okay, I cool. think that looks good. Okay, awesome. great. Well, thank you guys for joining our scorned women's uh, post Valentine's anti Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> what, it's a very long title um, thing that we're doing right now. We're so happy to have you. So, Meg, do you want to go over the um, what we're going to be doing for the merch so that everybody knows what the dealio is there? Yes. So basically, um, we're going to be putting everyone's names who joins and stays until the end. So I'll need a couple of minutes at the end. Um, we are going to put your names into this little spin wheel thing online so that it's fair. And um, whoever's name is picked by the computer is going to be able to get some free merch of their choice. So very exciting. Woo-woo! And since there's only four or five of us right now you guys I, have like pretty good odds so you have really good great. odds i already wrote them down <laughs> i got them in the excel so we're good okay perfect that's so, awesome what did we decide did we decide you're going first i'm going for first forced um, forced you know i mean i can go first that is totally cool with me so welcome great. to scorned woman valentine's um this is probably my favorite Valentine's of all time because I got to watch true crime shows on Valentine's Day. And what could possibly be better than watching scorned women on your Valentine's Day? True that life. And poor, poor Brandon had to watch it with me. I'm sure he was just as thrilled as I am to be able to he watch it. He was pretending he was not excited, yeah. but in fact, he was overjoyed. I'm I think sure. He was, I think he was a little bit like, concerned by how how many episodes there were of women killing their um boyfriends yeah it's really never ending that, that concerned him a little and i don't totally blame him hi <laughs> crime and dine uh, official i was gonna say crime and dine offline oh my gosh i'm just creating lines out of nothing dine offline. oh my gosh i hope everybody had a good valentine's day yes yes i hope so too um so we might as well dive right in since we do have that hour cut off, right? Yes, Instagram, we do. 
Instagram Let's tells us we can't just do inevitably talk forever. No, I know, right? We're like limited. It's like I'm sweating because I'm like limited about <laughs> how much I can say. Um, All right. Well, I'll let you go so, first, Meg, because you know we're you're gonna, the best. we're gonna just go ahead and we're gonna dive right on in. Okay. Fem energy are female empowerment tees with style that make a social statement. Boss babe Shauna Henderson designs clothing with messages of positivity and love to bring light into a dark world. I personally love the woman up and feminist dog lover tees. These tees are not only fashionable, but some are sold exclusively to support women's rights organizations, as well as donations to black women's health imperative. So you'll be stocking your wardrobe with clothing you'll love and know your purchase is making a difference in someone's life. You can search through styles and purchase your tees on Instagram at fem.energy, that's F-E-M-M dot energy, or femenergy on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop femenergy. So go check them out today. So my story is about a, a teacher affair, of course. Oh, about a teacher affair. There were quite a few of those that I found when I was doing my my moogs at the at at the start of this. So I'm curious <laughs> what you got. So obviously sources starting off. I watched Scorned Love Kills Teacher Teacher episode. A must. Uh, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and then iahud.com, an article by Mike Spillane, and I won't tell you the name of the article just yet because it'll kind of ruin everything okay um but no spoilers run that right on in so we're going back to the 80s 1985 we weren't be here like, yet cue some cue some 80s music <laughs> so we are with petty and petty paul and betty jean <laughs> solomon i'm starting off on a great note <laughs> Um, a married couple from Greenberg, New York, and actually super fitting, so I didn't even do this on purpose. Greenberg is, like, super wealthy. Oh. It's, yeah, it's right next to where we did Scarsdale a couple episodes ago. It's right next to Scarsdale, basically. I see. Yeah, the rich. So rich. the couple were college sweethearts marrying in 1970. They had a daughter together. Paul was a fifth grade teacher at Greenville Elementary in Scarsdale, and Betty Jean was a homemaker, as one did in the 80s. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> By all accounts, they seem to be living the suburban dream, which we all know means everything is going to be a disaster. <laughs> They're also like $200,000 in debt. And oh, yeah under their crippling a route to be divorced they're just <laughs> blissful they're really blissful so um obviously surviving solely off of a teacher's salary is no bueno i can tell you that from personal experience it is not the easiest thing in the whole world to do especially when you have expensive taste and you live in a wealthy area <laughs> Um, speaking so, from experience, <laughs> well, no, I do not live in a wealthy area, nor do I have expensive case. So, but I can imagine that is really uh, difficult. So, um, da, 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 da. they were living in that wealthy suburb of New York city. It was obviously really difficult on the sole income. So they decided, okay, Betty has to go back to work. So Betty, Betty you came, gotta, you gotta, you gotta work for your keep. Gotta work girl. Um, so, and at this point I, I mean, I don't know 100%, but I'm assuming that 
she was a stay-at-home mom, like, once her daughter was born, because Mm -hmm. from the documentary, it sounds like she was entering back into the workforce, and it sounds like her daughter was, like, kind of of teenage years, like, going into that teenage um, year. So, Betty Jean found a job at a local bank and enjoyed being back in the workforce. She was really good at what she did, and so she quickly rose to become the bank manager. Go, Betty! Yep, go Betty. Betty Get Rock. It. Get it, Betty. Now, while this helped the family maintain their life in Greenberg, Paul felt neglected because Betty Jean was not home as often as she once had been. Well, no, duh, Paul. She once was at home all the time and now she has a job. That's like, what happens when you start working. <laughs> oh my god. So he he complained she was less available and he felt diminished. Likely because Betty Jean was doing more than just being his wife and it messed with his macho complex. Can you hear my eyes rolling right now? Like, (laughs) I just can't even. And I wish that was me editorializing, but it was not. It was literally what they said in the show. Get it together. Get it together. So Paul's all butthurt. And at this point, they begin to drift apart because... Paul, you're a teacher. You only make so much money, bro. Like, you either move or she gets a job. I don't know what to tell totally. you. Totally. Yeah, right. I mean, this is what the situation is. You just do what you gotta do. <laughs> right. So, um, at this point, they began drifting apart, and Paul began looking for affection elsewhere. Instead of being like, I'm sad you are not home. Can we have a date night? He looks for an affair. So, cool. There we go. Cool. Now starts the Communication is just out the window just no communication whatsoever (laughs) so in the fall of 1987 25 year old carolyn warmus began working at the school she was the daughter of a wealthy businessman from michigan and by all accounts was incredibly attractive like super large woman yeah get a girl um well well i mean i kind of know where it's going but (laughs) (laughs) well you can get it for now um, so, blah, 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 Um, when Paul and Carolyn first met each other, they had an instant connection. Paul then... Cosmic volu- connection. Okay, so then Paul volunteers to be her mentor, because when you start teaching, you need a, mm. a mentor teacher. So he was like, oh, I got this one. <laughs> Don't worry, guys, I'll take one for the team. Right? Um... So at this point, too, just as a little, like, backtrack, um, Paul had already started to have affairs with other women in 85. So from 85 to 87, he was literally, like, going through the young female teachers at the school. He was very attractive. He was charismatic. They were all super enamored with him. And actually, his first affair, he was having sex with with the coworker in the building. Yeah, like, wild, wild. He just, Paul didn't, like, dip a toe in. He dove off the deep end into the shark-infested waters. Oh, my gosh. And here's Betty, who's like, I'm just trying to pick up a job so that we don't, you know, crash and burn. Starve! And Paul's like, he's like, peace, I'm gonna, like, sleep with literally everybody in the school and I don't care who knows it so yeah so he like was flirting with them he was he was you know going after the young teachers granted he was like he was in his 40s wasn't old or anything and these young teachers Mm -hmm. were in their 20s but whatever so he'd become their mentor then he'd move into a sexual relationship with them 
Um, Betty Jean was so busy at her job. She was like, whatever. It's, I, I trust you. So that's just to give you a little like heads up. He had that reputation. He had been doing that. So now we're in the fall of 87. Carolyn enters. She's super hot. He's like, I'm super hot. You're super hot. I'm going to be your mentor. Let's be hot together. (laughs) So um, when he became her mentor, he was obviously like very flirtatious and she enjoyed that as well. And he did not wear his wedding ring at work. The oldest trick in the book. (laughs) So as their relationship progressed, like they're still just mentor mentee at this point. He was nervous to tell her he was married. How nice of him. He's going to like, you might as well just wear the ring to tell her that you're married. You don't even have to I do mean, this. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. Like, also, wouldn't, like, I imagine this is probably, you know, everybody probably knew each other at this point. Like, doesn't, you know, doesn't she probably have an inkling that he's married? Um. Well, yeah, I imagine that probably he became her mentor and there was another teacher who was like, look look, here's the 411, because that's... I mean, yeah, you would think Some, somebody someone's, would give someone's him the DL. Yeah. So um, he was nervous to tell her. When he did tell her, he was afraid that it would, like, make her be like, no thanks. Instead, when she found out he was married, it fueled her competitive nature. Stop. Mm-hmm. I- yep, cannot she she saw yep she saw his wife as a competitor and was determined to win um i think that she already won because she's married to him yeah well also why are we what are we doing here what is is happening (laughs) i mean they were likely no they weren't already married when she was born she was she must have been born like a decade before but even still like it just wild still yeah wild So, although the relationship starts off casual, the intensity leaves Carolyn falling in love quickly. Paul saw this relationship as more of a fun opportunity, but would tell Carolyn things. Yeah. He would tell her things like, I'm getting a divorce soon, which again, oldest. I mean, this man must have written the book in the 80s. He he probably did write the book and then he sold it to all the other (laughs) men like him. Pre-Amazon selling must have been real tough. Yeah, seriously. Corner, side corner, dark corners, alley. (laughs) You want my book on cheating? (laughs) Um, So, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he fuels her fantasy that they would be together because now she's, like, super invested and she's hearing all of this and she's 25 and her brain is just starting to fully develop and wild. Okay. So, even with all, um, even with all of that, Paul actually wanted things to get better with his wife. Well, maybe instead of spending all your time with all these random women at the school, you could spend time with your wife and perhaps that would, you know, mean things would get better with your wife. You can't just like wish it gets better. It gets more wild. Oh my God. So he decides he's gonna, he, he plans this whole thing where he has Carolyn over for dinner with his family, intending to make Betty Jean jealous. Okay, is he, like, literally trying to, like... What is he doing? Is he writing a screenplay? Like, this is He's an actual teenager. He's an actual teenager, like, trying to get attention. 
legitimately he's taking advice from the kids in the school because like that is something that a teenager does trying to make the person you're with jealous like this i can't can you imagine (gasps) like looking back and this was your fifth grade teacher can you imagine right like what a a great what what a great role model (laughs) (laughs) so i mean teachers ain't perfect trust me but i mean i just think that's wild to like look back on that i mean that's a whole other level of not perfect (laughs) oh my god do you see my mom just goes he's stupid thanks mom yeah (laughs) he is stupid what the heck is he thinking oh my gosh (laughs) mama with the support okay so Mm -hmm. he invites her over for dinner tries to make betty jean jealous but even with all of the flirting and flaunting of his affair, Betty Jean does not care. She does not get jealous. And she doesn't confront Paul. Maybe Betty's, maybe Betty's like, maybe he'll just leave me. Maybe <laughs> I don't, like, maybe I don't have to deal with this anymore. Maybe she's just like, okay. And she's like, you do you, I don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this reaction makes Paul super mad. Again, we don't communicate anything leaving him questioning if his marriage is beyond repair. And so he further pursues things with Carolyn. Yeah, sure, because that's the correct approach and direction from there. So at this point, he starts writing her a series of love letters, promising her that he would leave his wife and start a new relationship with her, you know, yada, yada. She takes this as, like, gospel truth. She's so excited. Their relationship's going in the right direction. Um, But she starts to get impatient because Paul is taking too long to leave his wife. Cause he keeps saying, I'll leave my wife, but then he never does anything about it. Like there's no end date. He just keeps going. I will, I will, I will. Except he won't because he hopes things get, get better with Betty. <laughs> so she takes things into her own hands and she starts calling Paul at his house. Oh, poor Caroline. Oh yeah. She's just Caroline? like, you know Caroline? what? Caroline? Like, Carolyn. 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 Sorry, I can't even get your name right. <laughs> She's like, I'm so neglected. They don't even know my name. I just want to look at her and be like, girl, you're hot. You're 25. Go into the city. Go to a bar. Get yourself some free drinks and live it up. What are you doing with this 41-year-old man? No, not I cool. Know. Unfun. You don't have time for this. No, you don't have time for this. So um, this is when Betty Jean really starts to notice something is going on. So now it's like in her, like she, she can't ignore it anymore. And she, Sounds like it. she never really liked Carolyn all that much the times that she had met her. And she called her, quote, a bimbo in awe of Paul. Oh. But again, she does not confront her husband about her suspicions. She's still like, whatever. She just, hope, she just hopes he le- he's going to leave her. Well... <laughs> Well, this is likely because Betty Jean is having an affair of her own. (laughs) Well, you know what, Betty Jean? (laughs) At this point, I mean, it's just when I saw this this on the show, I was like, this shit is getting wild. Like, like, just end your marriage. How many affairs are we having? (laughs) Who has this much time? I know, there's time together. they don't they're like i wish i could spend more time with my spouse and then here they are having like 300 affairs i know so um when betty jean started working again she could feel the resentment from paul and it took a toll on her so john her boss who was also married 
made her feel appreciated and admired, something she realized was missing from her marriage. This is just like, there's like never-ending affairs. It's like a long line of affairs. And moral all of the story is with... don't get married, right? That's okay. the moral? <laughs> <laughs> the, the moral is communication and also what are you doing? Like you said, like about not having enough time. Like I barely have enough time to shower every day. How are you having time to have multiple <laughs> affairs? Um, yes, I totally agree. Clearly, they so, don't communicate and aren't good for each other, 100%. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? So, uh, in early January 89, Paul and Carolyn, um, oh, wait, did I just skip? <laughs> I skipped a whole section. My bad. So, in the spring <laughs> of 88, I was, whole like, section. I was like, wow, we went from 87 to 89 quick. In the spring of 88, Paul decides again he wants to work on his marriage and breaks up with Carolyn. Ah, got it. He said quote, Carolyn, you know, we're not going to be able to make, uh, we're not going to be able to see each other in the summer, which makes me laugh. Cause it feels like something you would like write in a yearbook for someone you hate. We're not going to see each other this summer. So listen, I know we've been like seeing each other all year, but this summer I kind of just want to be free. <laughs> what does exactly. that sound like? Literally we're going to a high different, schooler. We're going to different schools. So, you Don't know. you just want to be single? Don't you just want to, like, explore? Um, So um, this broke Carolyn's heart. She cried to Paul, telling him life wasn't worth living without him. Again, single, hot, 25-year-old. Girl, you got so much more to life. Girl, you got so much to live for. Mm -hmm. Like, all those hot guys that you haven't dated yet. (laughs) Go find them. (laughs) (laughs) Go get your free meals. Yeah, Um, go get it, girl. So, nevertheless, Paul was determined to make things better with his wife in a half-assed attempt. However, breaking off his affair isn't quite enough to fix his marriage. He had been suspicious of Betty Jean sleeping with her boss before, but when he catches her in a lie, his suspicions are confirmed. And even though he straight up really does catch her in, like, a lie, she denies it, and he's like, okay, we still don't talk things through. (laughs) Okay, moving on, anyway. (laughs) So when she denies it, Paul just goes back to Carolyn. He's like, you know what? Cool. I'll go to my side chick. Carolyn, don't take him back. Well, you're going to hate Say Carolyn no. soon. You're going to hate her God. soon. It's like I feel I, – I, I do feel bad for her because, like, you know. Well, wait. I feel bad for her. Wait, wait. Wait till I get a little farther. <laughs> no, wait. Um, yeah, I don't think we'll feel so bad for her anymore. Um, so in early January 19 19- – 89, Paul and Carolyn make plans to celebrate her birthday, but Paul completely blows her off, forgetting about the date and never calling to apologize. He's, this guy's a freaking winner, let me tell He's you. He's just winner, winner, chicken dinner, honestly. Like, Good someone job. get this man a medal. Carolyn is heartbroken as she waits a week and does not hear from Paul. She's worried that he's again drifting away from her and back to Betty Jean. Because that's his wife. Correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Taking matters into her own hands, Carolyn calls Paul at home and makes plans to meet up with him for drinks that night to celebrate her birthday. This girl is not giving up on her birthday, which I get. Oh. I don't give up on my birthday either. I have a whole birthday. I mean, it's like you get one thing. You get one thing per year. That's mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. You hold on to I, that tight. Oh, yeah. I get a month. 
that's that's my thing. I get them. <laughs> um, so she is like, screw this. He's drifting away from me. So she calls him up and makes plans to meet him um, for drinks that night to celebrate her birthday. Paul tells Betty Jean he's going to the bowling alley with some friends. He was like in a bowling league. She wants him to stay home, but he ultimately decides to leave. Once um, again, we're going back to the unlimited amount of time these people have. He's having 300 affairs. He's also <laughs> in a bowling league? He is in a bowling league. I know. How and does he, he have all listen, of this time? Listen, and he teaches. That's the thing that really baffles me. How do you, how do you plan? How do you grade? He must not sleep. This is, I mean, this that's is the only wild. solution. The thing that I really want to learn is how he is able to work only in his contracted hours. That's what, <laughs> that's what he needs to write a book about. <laughs> he needs to sell a book about that. He how to work from eight to three. Um, okay. <laughs> so at this point, it's January 15th. So her birthday was January 8th. Blew her off. Okay. Week later, January 15th, 89. Um, Paul goes to the bowling alley for a bit, um, talked to some friends, and then headed to the Holiday Inn Treetop Lounge in Yonkers to meet up with Carolyn. Oh, Yonkers. I was going to say, oh, Yonkers. Yonkers. Oh, Carolyn. (laughs) The two have some drinks and end up having sex in her car in the parking lot. Now, this is wild, right? You're at a literal hotel. And you go and have sex in the freaking Bronco outside? I mean, what the hell's wrong with you? Come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> what so, is happening here? <laughs> so Paul gets home around 10.15 that night and finds Betty Jean dead on the living room floor. Wait, she I'm has- sorry. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's got multiple gunshot wounds and has a footprint on her blouse, appearing as if someone had stomped on her. The phone was just out of reach of her hand, and the phone wire had been pulled out of the wall, so it was completely off the hook. Okay. Um, Paul calls the police. He's frantic. When they arrive, he's so distraught, they have to bring him into another room to calm him down. And then once they're able to question him, Paul says, this is the dumbest thing. Paul tells him he was at the bowling alley with friends, and he has no idea who would do this to Betty Jean. Do you oh, want goodness. to set yourself up to be the main suspect, you dumbass? You're already the husband. Like, I mean, make it a I, little more obvious for him. Like, his the wife is already dead. So, like, it's not like she's now gonna know about the... I mean, she already knew about <laughs> she the She already knows! <laughs> like, so it's not like, you know, why lie to the cops? So, basically, the cops look at him and they're like, dude... This timeline does not add up. You were at the bowling alley for five hours. <laughs> He's like, I really like bowling. No one bowls that much. <laughs> I'm also really bad at bowling, which is why it took me five hours. Oh, my God. So um, they also notice that his, like, body language is weird. They're, like, getting bad vibes from him. So finally they confront him, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm having an affair with Carolyn. And he tells them where, their, where his actual whereabouts were. So investigators are intrigued at the um, proximity of the phone to Betty Jean's body and wonder if she was able to make a call. Mm. When they check the 911 log, they find there was a call made hours before from the phone where a woman was frantically screaming, he's trying to kill me before the phone went dead. 
Police were dispatched to the address and found nothing because they were accidentally sent to the wrong house. What? Yeah, there was, like, a crossing of wires and whatnot, and it was, like, it, it was no good. So Only they, in the 80s. They went to the wrong house. Um, so with this revelation, police are sure that Paul's to blame because he's trying I mean, to kill me. Yeah, he you know? is trying to kill me, sure. But without any hard evidence, they obviously can't charge him. So they continue to interview other persons of interest, including the guy that Betty Jean was having an affair with. But he had, like, an ironclad alibi. So that was nothing. So then police call Carolyn in for an interview. When she's questioned, she confirms Paul's alibi, but stops the interview soon after it begins, stating she wants to speak with a lawyer before continuing to talk to detectives. Interesting. At the same time, Carolyn and Paul were broken up, and Paul was dating another woman. Carolyn began to stalk Paul, following him and his new girlfriend to Puerto Rico. And oh, so not calling... just, like, to down to, like, the restaurant no, downtown. No, <laughs> to Puerto Rico. <laughs> okay? And then she's calling this woman's family to try and break up the relationship. Oh, my. They're a little suspicious now, Carolyn. If we had some chill, maybe we would be okay. Carolyn has no chill. Carolyn has no damn chill. She's got no chill. Um, so they find that um, they, they subpoena her records and all of that good stuff. Um, they find that Carolyn called a private investigator named Vincent multiple times in the days before and after the murder. When Vincent is questioned, he says that Caroline is, or Carolyn is a longtime client, and he talks to her often. They're still like, this is odd. So um, unconvinced, and with a tip from um, an associate of Vincent's, claiming he was trying to get a, silence her, a silencer recently, um, he cracks and tells investigators that Carolyn had repeatedly asked him to get her a gun. He gave her a 25 caliber automatic handgun and never got an explanation of why she wanted it. Oh, sure. Just giving yeah. those away. Like candy. So, yeah, no kidding, right? So detectives were able to match the gun to the shell casings found at the scene, and lo and behold, it was that gun. Surprise, so, surprise. Yeah, prosecutors <gasps> believe Carolyn knew Paul would go to the bowling alley before meeting up with her. This gave her time to go to the house and kill Betty Jean. It is also believed that Carolyn was the one who made the 911 call to throw investigators off, claiming that a man was trying to kill her. Yep. Very, very tricky, Carolyn. <laughs> very tricky. Less than 15 minutes after murdering his wife, Carolyn meets up with him for drinks and sleeps with him. I'm sorry. Wild. What? Talk about compartmentalization. <laughs> Do we feel bad for Carolyn anymore? No, 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 no. no. So uh, Carolyn gets tried twice, actually. Once in 1991, which ends in a hung jury because there's little physical evidence. To, it's all circumstantial. But witness testimony painted her as an obsessive psychopath with people from her past explaining how she behaved in previous relationships and after their relationships. Interesting. So then in 92, they try her again. 
This time, they found some physical evidence as there was a glove that was left on the floor of the crime scene close to the body. That fit her. So she was found guilty like of murder. Like a glove. <laughs> like a glove. <laughs> um, she was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 25 years to life. This is the other wild thing, right? On the day of her sentencing, her attorney offered a $250,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of Betty Jean's killer. I'm sorry? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so... Paul testified at the first trial and was given immunity from prosecution for his testimony, which I think is interesting because this I found in an article and what they said on the actual documentary was that he was never really suspected. But immunity from prosecution is an interesting, interesting little tidbit. Interesting. Yep. Um, Carolyn was released from prison in 2019. Oh my, I mean, it was, it was not, it was, she should stay, she should stay, because that's, it Girl, was she not rich, good, rich people don't go there. Mm, that's a good point. She's got money, so therefore she's free. Well, also, here's happens. the other really interesting thing. So, the article, so one of the articles was, the fire alarm's going off. Oh house. no, <laughs> Brandon is burning down the house. So, one of the, um. One of the articles was <laughs> was was all about how um, what this she is said live people. It's oh live. my god! This is what happens. We just cut it out. Um, yes, this is waiting true. Waiting for Bodie's are barking too. But so essentially, like one of the articles was about how, um, like what she said to the parole board. That was the article from that guy, Mike. Mm-hmm. And so the parole board asked her. Who might be responsible for Betty Jean's murder? She said, quote, well, the husband, you know, really benefited from her death. Oh. Betty. What? I mean, Who Betty? releases somebody from prison after they say that? Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that is the love triangle or quadrangle or whatever. That of, was a um, weird shaped affair angle. Of Betty Jean and Carolyn wow. Warmus. What a ride. That was what great. a ride. What a wow. ride. This that, is, was, this is... that was great. It is true. Yes, it's a it's a true it is crime true. that Megan just that Megan just read in uh what, where was it? Where in New York? Uh Greenberg. Right outside Greenberg. of New York City. Yeah. Greenberg, New York. Right outside of New wow. York City. Jeez, that was a really good one. I hope that mine, uh, I actually should have had you gone second. Your stories are always way better than mine. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is debatable. <laughs> um, so before I jump into my, uh, my true crime that I'm going to cover, uh, I wanted to do a reminder on the merch giveaway. So we said this at the top, but if you stay till the end, we're going to be doing a drawing for um, a a little bit of merch so stay tuned if you're here at the end then you'll be entered to win and we'll let you know who the winner is um at the end of all this so if we do if we do get cut off um we will be signing right back on so just hop yeah. back on if we get cut off yeah exactly because we just can't stop talking um, <laughs> that's just the story of our lives <laughs> 
Forensics investigators and cadaver dogs scoured the property at a home on Mallory Dozens Crescent. Dozens of officers have been working around the clock. Pleading guilty to eight counts of murder in the first degree, this makes him Canada's biggest serial killer. This isn't your average documentary. This isn't your average story. He wasn't your average serial killer. And he was evil. The most infamous serial killer in the history of Toronto. I mean, this man was brutal, relentless. And my son isn't your average survivor. I remember everything other than what happened during the 20 minutes. But from the pictures he took during those 20 minutes, I know what was probably about to happen. In 2017, Sean Cribben became friends with a stranger from an online dating site. The stranger was Canada's oldest, most notorious serial killer, Bruce MacArthur. You're gonna wanna check out Was I Next? The Sean Cribben Story. Did you hear there's a serial killer in the neighborhood? So, I'm bringing us, I'm bringing us home. I'm bringing us, I'm bringing us back. To Massachusetts? To Massachusetts. No way. Yeah, and it's a, it's a recent one. I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. Wow. So, um, it's, from my understanding, this is still, you know, because of, you know, COVID shenanigans, this is still underway. So we know everything, but the trial and everything is still kind of, you know, in process. Oh, I'm intrigued. So we are heading to Mount Holyoke. So here we go. Oh, all right. And Holy also Oak. this article, I, most of this is, um, like I said, I think I said my sources were Town and Country Magazine. And this was a beautifully written article. Um, so there. That I will now read word for word. <laughs> I will literally read this almost word for word. They use very flowery language that I, um, I'm just not a good writer. So this is better. Anyway. So. A spell of unseasonably warm weather overtook the Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts on December 23rd, 2019. So we're just back in 2019. Uh, they call it the Pioneer Valley? Pioneer Valley. That the Pioneer been pioneered for like 300 years. <laughs> the Pioneer Valley. <laughs> it once was pioneered. <laughs> So the Mount Holyoke student body had gone home for the holidays since it was the 23rd and the world seemed to be calm and inviting like a gift received early. The surprise of holiday cheer tied tightly in a ribbon. See, flowery. So this person's name is also really challenging. I tried to look up how to say it and yeah, I'm going to get it wrong. So Rye... Hachiyanayagi. Oh. Yanagi. Hachiyanagi. Are we going to call them Rai? I'm going to call her Rai because um, that is just, I I just, I'm not good enough to say that word correctly. (laughs) So to hear Rai tell it, she woke that day in a state of despair. Her live-in boyfriend, Heath Ashley, whose like name sounds like it really needs to be in a romance novel, um, it, oh, yeah, it does. Oh, right? Yeah. Heath, actually. He was, had a PhD in religion and was also affiliated with Mount Holyoke. So Rye was a professor at Mount Holyoke. So he had left the state to visit family, and their relationship was nearing the end after a long and slow decline. Oof. 
Yeah. Oof. That's the worst. Yeah. yeah that's like, no fun. That's, that's no fun. So she needed something, she to- later told police investigators, that made her, quote unquote, feel alive. It's oh. always, a good, always a good sign. So, look <laughs> at <laughs> your pulse, by chance. <laughs> so she went to Enterprise Rental Car in nearby Northampton and rented a Toyota RAV4. Um, sometime before noon, she bought a, bought a poinsettia for a friend that we're going to call E, like the letter E, um, who was allegedly awaiting the confirmation of a possible cancer diagnosis and gave oh. her the plant at her home in Leverett, a small town uh, dotted with farms 30 minutes north of, Mount, of the Mount Holyoke campus. So it was a quick visit. Uh, Rye stayed on the porch, and then she was off again, first to a restaurant in uh, Waitley on the outskirts of Amherst, and then back to Enterprise to return the RAV4. So she doesn't own a car when she lives in Western Mass? So she does own a car. It's unclear why she rented a car. Um, So one of the things that they said in here that was very flowery was that the RAV4 rode higher off the ground than her own car as if floating above the earth. But I felt like it was kind of like I didn't need to add that in. So, um, but yes, she did have her own car. (laughs) So she just didn't like her car. So she she paid more money to get another car for one day. She was like, you know what? I want to feel alive today. And you know what makes me feel alive? A Toyota RAV4. RAV4. So I'm going to just, I'm going to go there. Wild. Honestly, wild. With COVID, if you had said this was 2020, I would have been like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. A date night, get a round yeah. four. Rent a car. <laughs> Girl, let's go. Yeah, no, I'm totally in. I'm totally in. So at 4 p.m., she bumped into E on campus. She later told investigators that they made plans that night at E's home. So Rye went back to her house in South Hadley and then set out again, this time uh, to a martial arts studio in Amherst where her boyfriend was the manager and head instructor. She didn't go inside, she said, but rather stayed in the parking lot alone. She missed him. So basically she went there, like, he wasn't even working there because he had gone home to see family. So mm-hmm. she was just trying to be close to him, I guess. So she then made her way to E's house just before midnight. When she opened the door, she said she found E lying on the floor, barely breathing, with gruesome injuries to her face and head. So at 12.12 a.m. on Christmas Eve, she called 911 and explained that her fellow professor had been assaulted by an unknown assailant. The state police were sent to the house, and when the sergeant entered, he found um, he found. Uh, Rye holding E, both of them covered in blood. Oh, yeah. So when E arrived at Bay State Medical Center, her eyes swollen shut, bones broken, her face and her skull lacerated. Oh, she, she told the police detectives a very different story. Rye did deliver a poinsettia to, poinsettia to E in the morning, but E found it strange because she had never been invited. She had never invited Rye to her home. They saw each other again that afternoon on the Mount Holyoke campus and made idle chit-chat. They parted with the understanding that they would speak again after the holidays. According to the police report, E told investigators that she arrived at her house in in Leverett at 8 p.m. Shortly after, something caught her eye, a shadow moving on her deck. Who's there, she called. Rye emerged from the darkness. Rye 
exclaimed that she missed E and wanted to talk with her about her feelings. E opened the sliding door and encouraged her colleague to come inside. Right away, within a foot of the doorway, E said she felt something hard hit the back of her head. She fell to the floor next to her wood stove, and Rye kept beating her, blow after devastating blow. With the poinsettia? (laughs) (laughs) Don't! (laughs) Those things are dangerous. I mean, they are. They're actually, they're very dangerous for dogs. In case you don't know, don't let your dog use poinsettias. Or like any plants, really, but... Or like any plants. Yeah, that's a good point. So E fought back. She had lost her glasses during the struggle. I mean, girl. So when I read this part that she lost her glasses, I realized I need to constantly be wearing my contacts. I should never just wear my glasses because if some, if I lost my glasses when somebody was attacking me, I'd be done. I'm so blind. True, true. I am blind as a bat. I mean, Ellie takes my glasses off and I cannot move a foot. Like, I have to, like, stand there until I can get them out of her hands. So she saw um she saw what rye was hitting her with rocks garden clippers oh, fire God. poker fireplace what? poker even her bare fists so the fight as you can imagine produced a chaotic scene the floor became littered with books and magazines and splattered blood reach, reached all the way to the porch staining the snow dark red Ugh. e thought e thought that she was going to die she so e said why are you doing this and Rye replied, I've loved you for so many years, you should have known. What? Right? Right? <laughs> e told Rye, in an effort to appear sympathetic, that she loved her too. Rye calmed down for a moment, but then reared back and struck E again with the poker. She told E that if she let her go, she would surely tell someone and Rye would go to jail. If I go to jail, Rye allegedly said, I'll kill myself. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why didn't she just tell this woman that she had feelings for her and then maybe they could, like, date or something? I have no idea. Like, this obviously came out of, like, total left field. Like, poor E was like, what the heck is going on, first of all? Like, I can't. So, uh, when when the... So... E just, E E said that she just kept playing along, telling Rye that she wouldn't tell anyone, and she did persuade her to call 911. Wow. Yeah. So placating her attacker literally saved her life. Um, So when the police and paramedics arrived, E was terrified that if she told the truth, Rye would burst into a violent rage or even try to burn down her house. So she kept her mouth shut until she arrived at the hospital. Wow. After E was taken away in an ambulance, the police investigators, who were still under the impression that they were dealing with a home invasion, kept Rye on site to conduct an interview. He's, um, so the police chief said she was being very cooperative. Um, he said uh, that she, you know, it seemed like she was looking out not only for E, but the other residents of Leverett. If he, and if he needed... Um, if he needed to go out and find whoever did this, he wanted to be able to do it as quickly as possible. So little, little did he know, the sheriff, uh, at the time, that the sp- suspect was still upstairs in the residence speaking with investigators. Beep boop up. Um, in the early morning hours after receiving E's statement at the hospital, the police went to Rye's house and placed her under arrest. In her coat pocket, they found E's keys, phone, and glasses. 
when questioned about the violence that had appeared that had apparently emerged from her unrequited love for E, Rye said that she had blacked out. She remembered only leaving the martial arts studio parking lot and then finding her friend in a pool of blood, but nothing in between. It was a bizarre element in an already strange case. Um, Are they even certain- really friends, though? They weren't. They were like more like acquaintances. And she went to this woman's house twice in one day. Yeah. And she thought it was strange. Like, E literally thought that it was weird that she, like, showed up with the poinsettia because she had never invited her to the house. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Um, do, do, do. So, it was a, so, so then Rye asserted that the, the injuries that she had were sustained in a near-fatal car accident that she had been in, um, one that she had used in her art installations at Mount Holyoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Rye claimed to not remember anything about the hours she allegedly spent trying to, to kill E. Oh, my God. This went on for hours? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so, doop, 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 doop. Skip all this part. Um, <laughs> not important. Just some background about Holyoke. Um, so, students obviously were like, what the heck is going on with this? Because, like, you know. Drama, right? So the first glimmer that something had gone horribly wrong at Mount Holyoke came in a January 3rd email from the um, college president, Sonia Stevens. Side note, Sonia Stevens is one of the only female presidents of a university in the United States. Damn, Both Sonia. Yeah, she's pretty bomb. So, um, so students were saying that their group chat was gr- blowing up. They were trying to figure out, like, what was going on because they just – in the email, she just said that there was an altercation. Didn't clarify exactly what was happening. Well, how do you even, like, write that? Right? Like, your teacher tried to kill another teacher? Like, it's just crazy. God damn it, this is why I'm retiring in two years. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of her former students said that she was in dispo- disbelief. She was trying to find the why beneath all of this, um... I don't know if anyone really knew the real Rye. She she never really had friends around or showed her humanity beyond her artwork and beyond being a professor. I feel that there's a trope in her work about the idea of staying quiet or being silenced. It's shocking that that release came out in such a violent way. So Rye pleaded not guilty to the charges. The Northwestern District Attorney's Office and the Massachusetts uh, state police both declined to comment, but the case has been moving forward in the courts, and according to one law enforcement officer, some Mount Holyoke faculty members have been interviewed as part of the investigation. So, um, on February 19th, Rye, looking forlorn, forlorn with her handcuffs behind her back, appeared in Franklin County Superior Court for a hearing to assess how dangerous she was. Um, The answer is very. It seems very dangerous. Um, Assistant District Attorney Matthew Thomas argued that she should be held without bail, stating that she was responsible for the brutal and cunning attack against E. Um, He also took issue with her initial defense that she did not, quote unquote, remember anything about the night of of the attack. Uh, Rye's defense attorney argued that she should be released on bail, and he disputed the prosecution's theory of her guilt. He said the motive, the motive that the Commonwealth is putting forth 
um, is that my client out of the blue shows up and says to the alleged victim, I love you, therefore I'm going to kill you, um, which is exactly what happened. So I'm a little bit confused about why he's um, saying that that's what they're putting on her. so he so his thing is that this doesn't make any sense that the case doesn't make any sense i mean it and, doesn't but and it does because yeah. of your client correct <laughs> correct um so meanwhile the kind of the mystery surrounding it has become this you know dark facade of, at mount holyoke um so there's it is still ongoing this story was came out in may 2020 so um we so her her next court date is scheduled for april 22nd um they don't have a year but this was issued in may so it must be 2021 probably so um this so this case is ongoing and it'll be really interesting to follow it because it like when I was reading this, I was like, I thought it was going to be out with the boyfriend. And then it just like took a total turn that I just didn't anticipate at all. I and know. I was, like, <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, oh, they were having an affair. No, I love you. So let me kill you. What, dude? Though, sadly, that's like a story for so many people. It's so sad. I mean, it's so true. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like she was like, apparently she said. I love you and you should have known. And so therefore I must kill you. I I don't really understand how that makes sense, but I mean, obviously like there's no making sense of that kind of a thing. Flippin' wild, but that was great. Wild. Wild. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Um, so quickly before we sign off slash get cut off, if you are still here, it looks like we have five people still watching. Could you please just write hi or write something? Hopefully not super offensive. So I can put your <laughs> name in to be in the drawing for free merchandise of your choice. Yes. Sold. Wow, this is Gen- like teaching. Is anybody, is anybody out there? Hello? I know, right? <laughs> Hello? Am I speaking into the void? <laughs> I think we're good to generate... All right, sweet. Generate. Let us Let's go. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Who's it going to be? And it looks like Michelle is our winner. Congratulations, Michelle. Get it, girl. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for being our void. If you would... um, Please and thank you. Uh, just shoot me a message or text me because you do have my number. Um, we will get you. We will get you some of the goods, whatever you are sweet, feeling. Sweet. And thank you all for joining. We greatly appreciate it. We hope you guys had some fun. We certainly did. And yes, uh, we will see y'all next week. Yeah, see you on the pod. No, yeah, on the pod. <laughs> we'll listen to you next week. And if you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe, share with your friends, like, leave us a review. We would love it. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. See you next time.